This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you everybody for tuning in to the final pre-season episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me as always, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. What a crazy day this has been. Of all the weeks that we decided to delay from Sunday to a Monday, this was a really good one. Elon, you had actually like traveled from where you were to get some reception so you could plan the show. And then you said, bye. Like you sent me the file. You said goodbye. And then like an hour later, everything started happening for like the next four or five hours. And we have like a whole other show's worth on top of what you already planned. I know this is going to be crazy, Brian. I wrote on our patron Facebook group that I'm going to have to talk even faster than usual (laughs) in order to get through all the things I want to talk about before we get into all of our content, which basically, by the way, we're going to basically be doing a preseason roundup, all the news that happened from the preseason leading into the season. Before we get into all of that, let's of course mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. If You've already had your draft and hopefully you benefited from their website and their draft guide and all of the tools they have to help you. If not, you know, it's not too late. Get the guide, go to the site, all the news, all these trades and and signings that have happened recently. They have recaps right in the moment telling you, you know, who benefits, who gets hurt. It's fantastic. Plus, once the season gets going, you can go there for line combinations, starting goalies. Basically, everything you need is all there at Keeping Carlson. No, at DauberHockey.com. Well, we have a link to DauberHockey.com over at Keeping Carlson, so that's one way you can get to it. And Ilana, I want to interject, before you go any further, you just called this a preseason roundup. That's not doing it justice at all. This is like a preseason roundup, a waiver wire roundup, an opening night lines roundup, injuries, restricted free agents. There's so much stuff. It's not just, like, we're even talking, I think, very little about any specific occurrences in the preseason. Yeah, I guess that's true. Okay, so why don't we just get into it? And by the way, we're live. We have people in the chat room. Hello, chat room. You could join us every week live on Sundays at 8 p.m. This is obviously an exception because it was a holiday. Keepingcarlson.com slash live. Hello, chat room. Brian, let's get going with the first fantasy hockey headline of the week. And maybe I need to take the tone down a little bit because I'm sounding too excited. And I shouldn't because this is actually very sad news. Word just came out that Sidney Crosby has a concussion. Oh my goodness. I thought these days were behind us. Like we all remember 
the seasons that happened. I guess it was like, you know, already like four or five seasons ago when we had to be worried about is Crosby going to be able to stay healthy for an entire season. But he has for the last three seasons. He's played 80, 77, and 80 games. I thought the concussion issues were gone, but unfortunately he has one. Apparently he sustained it on Friday. News just came out today. Obviously horrible news for anyone who drafted him or has him in a keeper league. And we don't even know yet how long he's going to be out. I'm not sure how much advice we give. You're not going to be able to replace Sidney Crosby, but of course we can look at what is the impact on Pittsburgh, who's going to take his spot like on the top line, on the top power play. Brian, what have you been hearing so far? Uh, So far, I've been hearing just that he's injured, that this happened in practice on Friday. Then he sat out for a game Saturday, but they didn't figure out till today, Monday, that it was a concussion, which is just so concerning. And like you said, like he, he had this reputation as somebody who misses a lot of time, but he'd missed just nine games over the last three years. Prior to that, though, he had missed 100 games in two and a half seasons due to concussion issues, which makes things really difficult because he's missed huge stretches, like 40, 60 games at a time because of these concussions. And so I'm really concerned about how long he's going to be out for now. I'm assuming they're going to go as slowly as they can with this. They're not going to rush him back. They probably have a team that can still get them to the playoffs without a healthy Crosby in the lineup. And they'd rather protect their star players' health as best they can. So I think, I don't know. I have no idea how long this is going to take. I do know that in the meantime, we can take a look at how the lines are going to shake out. And my first thought was maybe this is an opportunity for the HBK line to reunite, for Haglin, Benino, and Kessel to get back together. Because now Benino, like naturally, needs to move up the depth chart to become one of the top two centers. I mean, your other option is Matt Cullen. Maybe there's another guy somewhere around the depth chart that I'm not seeing, but that's essentially it. So that's how I see it going. And then that leaves Malkin, Hornquist, and then either Kunitz or Shiri taking the left side of that line. Wow. So Brian, this is like huge fantasy news for Nick Benino, Someone who was probably left for dead in free agency now might be your chance to grab him. If he's going to be playing with Kessel and Haglin, we've seen the chemistry that these three had together. We would have assumed that this wasn't going to happen because Crosby was going to be in the top six with Malkin. And I guess we never knew exactly how their lines were going to go. But now, yeah, grab Nick Benino. I guess if you're in a deep enough league. Some people are asking in the chat room, like Dave here is saying, what do you do if you have Crosby? What would you be willing to take if yeah. you own Crosby in a trade and also if you don't have Crosby is now a time to buy low obviously it's different depending if you're in a keeper league or not like how do you deal with these situations where there's so much uncertainty about an injury to such a integral fantasy asset well first off I'm also going to add that Haglin is probably also unowned to some extent and I guess his value doesn't necessarily jump with Crosby not in the lineup it's actually one less center that he can possibly play with because uh, on the left side there is him Shiri and Kunitz uh, but I feel like if Benino's up there, then Haglin and Kessel should go with him. Just a hunch. Anyway, if you have Crosby right now, like we've already gotten about 15 questions about I have Crosby, what should I do with him? Or what should I offer to Crosby? And your only consideration here is can your team contend for your fantasy playoffs without Crosby? And this is only a one-year league conversation that I think we're going to have here. If it's a keeper league, there's nothing you can do. We talked in the summer how like I still see four, five more really good years from Sidney Crosby ahead. So I don't think now is the time to cut bait, even if this tempts you to do so. But your question is to look ahead to your fantasy playoffs, look at your roster, look at your opponents and think, can I get there 
without him. And if you can get there without him, then if you have him, keep him, let him burn a hole in your roster if you have no IR spots for him. Or make a buy low offer to another team, knowing that you're going to be able to get to the playoffs and then Crosby will just be your ringer once you get there. Yeah, and I mean, who's in a league without IR spots? I mean, that's, come on. I mean, you'll be able to stash them, hopefully get someone good, pick up Nick Benino or something and hope for the best. I'm looking at what the latest lines were for Pittsburgh before this news came out. It looked like Kessel, Benino, and Haglin were already slated to start the season playing together. And then it was going to be Crosby with Hornquist and Connor Sheary. So I guess this is kind of really bad for Hornquist and Connor Sheary. Then they were going to have Malkin on line three, I'm saying, with Rust and Kunitz. So who knows how long this was even going to last. I guess quickly we should mention top power play is really where a lot of production comes for Pittsburgh where it was going to obviously be Crosby, Malkin, Hornquist, Kessel, and then Chris Letang. Someone else gets to join Hornquist, Kessel, Malkin, and Chris Letang, which are still four very strong players. Maybe it'll be Nick Benino. You need a center. I don't know. I don't know that it'll be Nick Benino. Malkin sometimes plays the point, so he'll move up to center. And then I feel like it'll be one of the guys on the left side. It'll be Hagelin, Shiri, or Kunitz who move up there. I'm personally cheering for Hagelin. I think Kunitz might be the most likely option to start the season. Shiri, if they're really searching for an option to give somebody a look. And then, yeah, I feel like Hagelin's probably set on the second unit, though. Wow. Okay. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens. Obviously, bad news for Crosby owners. If you're not a Crosby owner, like Brian said, maybe it's your time to take advantage, especially in a keeper league. And if you haven't drafted yet, I actually have a new keeper. Brian, we have a new keeper league coming up that we're going to be competing against. And that's drafting this week. I wonder if this is going to hurt Crosby's draft value. Okay. We got to move on, though. We can't talk about this. I could talk about this for another five minutes. We normally would, but too much news. Let's go to Edmonton now, where a lot a lot of S went down, let's just say. So first of all, the news came out that they traded Nail Yakupov. Finally, you know, first overall pick. We all know the story at this point. Hasn't met expectations. They decided to cut bait, sent him to St. Louis for kind of like nothing. Zach Pachiro and a draft pick. Maybe some conditionals, depending on how things go. First question, obviously, what does this mean for Nail Yakupov? This is someone who I didn't consider fantasy relevant at all going into the season but now I mean if St. Louis is trading for him they must have some plans to use him he still is a former first overall pick do you think there's still any value in Nail Yakupov I've been seeing him added in a lot of leagues in my cupful league someone paid two dollars to add him and there's still some pretty decent right wing free agents available so I was actually pretty shocked but maybe this guy knows what he's talking about I wish I could name him check him right now but I can't but Brian thoughts on Nail Yakupov on St. Louis You know, I've had a few takes about Yakupov over the years, but we're at the point where my take is I I don't even know what to do about him or what to think about him. The funny thing is, you know, if you look at his draft here, only two guys in his draft class have scored more goals than him in the NHL. One is Galchenyuk, and another is Philip Forsberg, who was traded also from the team that drafted him, except before he had any games in. That draft, actually, interesting tidbit in 2012, three forwards went in the first three picks, Then seven consecutive defensemen went crazy. Anyway, uh, no matter which way you slice it, Yakupov's numbers are still pretty ugly for a first overall pick. He had just eight goals and 15 assists for 23 points in 60 games played last year, a half point per game player over the course of his career. So even if he compares somewhat favorably in terms of goals scored to the other forwards in his draft class, it's still a pretty crummy get for the guy that you gave your lottery ticket to. I don't know that anything gets much better for him in St. Louis either than it was in Edmonton. At least right away, I think he's going to start on the third line, and that's not going to be a terribly plum opportunity for him uh, with Berglund and Yaskin is currently who he's with, and both are decent guys to be playing with, so that's a good thing. I don't know that the offensive opportunity is going to be there, but 
I do see some sunlight, like Tarasenko's nearby is another Russian, Peron is nearby as someone Yak has played with before, and maybe he just needs to hit the reset button. You know, I don't expect power play time right away or even much offense at all. I'm really looking at him as sort of having a reclamation project trajectory. So maybe they break him down to build him back up. His new coach is Ken Hitchcock. He's already taken turns on the second penalty kill unit. I imagine he's going to be asked to do some things just to get some foundational skills and be able to make some basic contributions to the team. And then hopefully he'll be able to score goals on top of that. But I'm not holding my breath just yet. Right, yeah. So I feel like people might be jumping the gun just because he's in the news and rushing to grab him out of free agency. I also agree. I feel like, you know, if you're dropping nobody and picking up Yakupov as like your bottom roster spot, then why not? Maybe it'll be fun to see how he does and hopefully they'll give him a chance to do something. But I'm seeing some, you know, nice free agents. Like even I'm looking at Mike, a cup full league, just the order, the default order that Fantrax gives, because of course I don't want to give like my watch list here, but I'm seeing guys like, you know, Mikhail Backlund, Drew Stafford, Travis Zajac, Thomas Vanek, Scott Hartnell, Anders Lee, like, I don't know if necessarily I would jump at Yakupov, spend $2 just to get him. Mikhail Granlin, Dubinsky, I don't know. I feel like he's around those guys as someone who could do good, but I don't see a reason to really expect very much. It's not as if he's going to the top line, like you're saying. Currently, the the latest beat writer tweets have been putting him on line three. There are some interesting St. Louis lines, by the way. I'll mention them in a second. I hear you wanted to say something. Oh, yeah. And I, I just think you're right. There are probably better options available and getting to the St. Louis line combos there's not a whole lot of place for him to go in St. Louis. You've got Alex Steen and Vladimir Tarasenko over on the right side already. Where is Yakupov going to go? He's, I don't think he's going to suddenly switch wings. I think it's going to be a reasonably long stay at the third line for now. Think of what happened when Magnus Pajarvi Svensson was traded or picked up by the Blues. I forget how they ended up acquiring him. But he went there and toiled in their bottom six and still didn't really pan out. And that's why I'm not terribly excited about Nail Yakupov just yet. Yeah, well, Brian, don't forget Alex Steen at right wing. I'm actually surprised to see that he is listed as left wing in most leagues. So theoretically, you could get Steen over to the left. Maybe David Perron gets out of the top six. So yeah, the lines that we've been seeing for St. Louis right now are Stasny, Fabri, and Steen, and then Perron, Laterra, and Tarasenko, which I think is kind of like a bummer if you were expecting Paul Stasny to be playing with Tarasenko. Good news for Perron and Laterra playing with Tarasenko, I guess. Anyways, all that to say, like theoretically, there could be room, I think, for Yakupov in the top six, and I feel like knocking out his former teammate David Perron would be his way to get there but we'll wait and see we'll report if he does anything uh speaking of St. Louis of course the one person that I haven't mentioned that's a left wing that would definitely not give Yakupov any room is Jaden Schwartz but he's injured he's gone for four weeks he has what was it a elbow injury I believe I guess similar to Crosby just in that maybe now's a time to get a good player that you could stash and then maybe later on he was probably drafted in your league but maybe you can make an offer to the Schwartz owner if he's available and get a guy who you know should be a solid 60 point guy I'm wondering though is he starting to become a bit of an injury risk is he a band-aid boy as Dauber would say it's been a while has like Jaden Schwartz ever played a full season Oh man, you ask me that without his games played numbers right in front of me. He has missed significant time in his career to date, but the way it's happened is he missed seven games early on last year with an injury to his right foot. Then he missed 49 more games the same year with an injury to his left ankle. Now it's an elbow injury. So I I guess we're just waiting for that other arm or elbow to get injured and then he'll be good. I don't, I don't see him, you know, if somebody is called a band-aid boy, you're looking for the type of injury that's either recurring or you're looking for a player 
like say, I don't know, Taylor Hall or like you and Peter were talking about on your interview this past week about the sort of game that Travis Konechny plays, you know, when you're just constantly putting yourself in situations where you can get injured. I don't see that being the case with shorts since two of his injuries have happened during practice. So I don't consider him a Band-Aid boy. And I consider him a really great guy when he's healthy. He's only second to Tarasenko last year in points per 60 among St. Louis forwards. And actually, you can go for the last three years. And he holds on to that second place spot. So he's ahead of Steen that way. He's behind Steen in goals per 60 minutes. He's third among St. Louis forwards. But the point is that he's a 55 to 60 point guy when he's healthy and is also someone who can put in 25 or 30 goals while getting those 55 or 60 points. Yeah, we're two seasons removed from him getting 63 points in 75 games. That's an over 65 point pace. That was back when he was playing with Tarasenko. Who knows if he'll get back playing with him. So definitely someone to watch. And I guess the last thing about St. Louis we should mention before we go back to Edmonton is Jake Allen got injured in the last preseason game. And we don't know yet how severe, but I've been seeing something recently that he might even come back and play for the first regular season game. So maybe there was a second where everyone would have thought to rush and grab Carter Hutton, who's now the backup in St. Louis, but it looks like maybe don't do that. And don't worry if you're a Jake Allen owner. Well, what was illuminating about this whole episode, even if Allen does come back right away, is that Ken Hitchcock apparently was impressed by Carter Hutton in training camp, which is good news for Carter Hutton because he's coming off a pretty rough year where his numbers were not looking good either in your rote stats or your conventional stats or by your new stats. So I think it'll be great if he can establish himself in St. Louis. And that might be interesting to note for anybody who is an Allen owner and is hoping for that undisputed number one status. We know Ken Hitchcock loves to play those mind games with his goalies, and he seems to have a tool with which to do it if he is genuinely interested in Carter Hutton. But for now, I expect Jake Allen to be the number one going into the season. Apparently, we might have an update as early as tomorrow. So maybe by the time you hear this, you'll have already found out he's going to skate around, get checked by team doctors, and if they say he's good then he's good to go. Okay, yeah. So let's go back to Edmonton now. They, I maybe traded Yakupov to make cap room available so they could sign Chris Russell, the final unrestricted free agent that we expected to sign a lot earlier. A lot of people probably thought he was going to sign right on July 1st, but it went on forever. Who knew what was going to happen? Kudos to anyone, I guess, who drafted him, assuming that he would get signed. Because I guess, yeah, he was going to have to get signed eventually. He goes to Edmonton. And now it's very intriguing, right? Because we still don't really know who's going to be the number one power play defenseman on Edmonton. There's a lot of potential options there with Sakara and Clefbaum and now Larson. And now we add Chris Russell as someone who has played on the power play before in Calgary. And I remember even in Dallas for a little bit, he had some power play time. I think it was when Klingberg was injured for a couple of games. Correct me if I'm wrong. But... Also, this is a guy who I guess the main thing about Chris Russell is he's the block king, right? Last year, he had 210 blocks. He's only a couple seasons removed from having 283 blocks for the Calgary Flames. This is a guy who could lead all defensemen in blocks. If your league counts that stat, obviously, he's really valuable, especially if he could put up some offense as well. He did have a 34-point season with Calgary back in 2014-15. Last season, he had 19 points overall in 62 games, which is like around a 25, 30 point pace. Not too shabby for a defenseman that's also providing all those blocks. So how do you see things shaking out in Edmonton? Do you think he has a chance to become a power play guy? And even if not, you know, where do you see him landing in terms of points? And I guess the other question is, will he get all those blocks? I guess it's possible that maybe his role will change, though. I kind of doubt it. Yeah, I kind of doubt it. I think that's what the Oilers are looking for by signing him. And I also think he'll be hard pressed to get power play time. There's three candidates ahead of him. Like you said, Larson, Clefbaum, and Sekera. I imagine I'll get a turn before him. So 
maybe if the Oilers are running two defensemen on each power play unit, then he gets in there. Note that his time in Calgary was cut pretty significantly last year. He got about half as much power play time in last year between Calgary and Dallas than he was used to seeing the prior two years. He has a really funny career trajectory. He played his first six seasons in the league as like a third pairing guy who I remember I was hoping for him to break in as Columbus's number one power play guy. And in the meantime, Columbus still doesn't have their number one power play guy after all these years. But anyway, he was playing for six seasons as a third pairing guy. And then Calgary in his age 26 season was like, all right, Chris Russell uh, on the second pair. And then he saw eight more minutes per night than the season before, five more minutes per game than his previous career high. His points and blocks rose commensurately, but I don't think he did anything special in that role, especially if you're looking at his defensive capability. The argument with him is that he blocks so many shots because he's on the ice for so many shot attempts against. I expect Edmonton is a very rich environment still, for seeing a lot of shots again. So I hope his block totals are going to stay very strong. If you want to pick him up for that reason, go ahead. I would not be expecting a whole lot of points from him though. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Chris Russell. But obviously if you need blocks, no point waiting for him because he's probably going to give you those. And then the points might be extra, but like you say, maybe he'll be a little hard pressed to find them. Let's go now to some more injuries because, of course, as the season approaches and into the season, we're every week going to be depressed about all the annoying injuries that happen. And this is obviously not Crosby level, but not too far behind. Jonathan Huberdeau is going to be out three to four months. I guess the thing is we don't know how long Crosby will be out. And by the way, Brian, I'm just going to say going back to Crosby, I drafted Chris Letang obviously very high in the couple. And by very high, I mean I bid high on him. And uh, I hope that's not bad for him that Crosby's gone. Anyway. Jonathan Huberdeau out three to four months with a lacerated lower leg. Also, Bjugstad is out with a broken hand for a month. So Florida is hurting a little bit. But obviously the big news is Huberdeau because Bjugstad was pretty much going to be slotted in as the third line center for sure behind Barkov and Trocek. So I guess that just makes it even worse for the people playing on the third line because I think it was kind of nice for someone like Jared McCann or Colton Sevior to be able to play with Nick Bjugstad. But Obviously, Jonathan Huberdeau is the big news because he's the top line left winger that plays with Barkov and Yager, both on the top line and on the power play. Someone has to fill that role. I feel like UC Jokinen is the guy who's highest in the depth chart and the one that we would expect to jump up. But he's had so much success playing with Trocek and Riley Smith last year. So I feel like they wouldn't break that up, which means there's a really nice void there and a really plumb spot for a new name. Who do you think it's going to be on the top line with Barkov and Yager? Well, the latest we've seen from George Richards, one of the beat writers I follow most closely from the Florida Panthers, is going to be Jonathan Marcheseau, formerly known as Jonathan O.D. Marcheseau, but he dropped the O.D. to make his name easier to pronounce for all of us, Mm. even though I still went out of my way to pronounce it that way. Jonathan Marcheseau seems to be the guy who's going to get on the top line. A quick bio of him. He's undrafted. He's 25 years old. He actually had only played four games in the NHL up until last year, despite being with NHL organizations for a few years. Last year, he finally held on to a roster spot in Tampa, scored seven goals and 11 assists for 18 points in 45 games played with them in his first pro half season. Before that, it's worth noting, he'd been a point-per-game player in the AHL for about 80 games and counting, so it was time for him to take on this challenge. In his time with Tampa, his points per 60 was within the top five of Tampa Bay forward, so not too shabby. You're probably thinking of, like, better than an Alex Killorn or an injured Tyler Johnson. So I'm actually pretty interested to see what he's got. I have to think he's going to get an extended look on that top line just because 
there's so few other options available. And I imagine he's going to near a 45-point pace just by osmosis, just like Alex Killorn does in Tampa Bay. But hopefully Marcheseau will be a little bit better. I'm hoping he's more talented than Killorn is. What this does, though, beyond just Marcheseau, is I think it hurts Barkov and puts a bigger onus on Yager to do some work. Because you're looking at that top line, who we were already worried about regressing because of high shooting percentages last year, and Yager's another year older. So you've got Barkov in the middle, centering that top line, hoping that Yager can keep up at least somewhat with the pace he was on last year. And now Jonathan Marcheseau, which is a big step down any way you cut it, from Jonathan Huberdeau. So this hurts Barkov, this hurts Yager, hopefully helps Marcheseau. If I had to pick another guy to step up into that top line left wing spot, Jared McCann acquired in the offseason from Vancouver could be a candidate, but I think Marcheseau probably gets a chance for a look. I don't feel like the Panthers are going to want to cycle in and out of that spot too often because they've got a long road ahead and maybe developing some chemistry might be a priority. Yeah, Brian, lots there. First of all, what a beating up Alex Killhorn. <laughs> I've never, I always thought Alex Killhorn was a really frustrating fantasy guy because he was always at the top of the free agent list, always getting like a half point per game and going up and down between playing with Stamkos in St. Louis or whoever, and then going back down to playing with nobody. And he couldn't do anything unless he was on the top line, but he had these points and spurts. It was very frustrating. I'm hoping Marcheseau will be more consistent. I mean, come on. What could you expect from Jonathan Marcheseau? I think it wouldn't be too bad if he was an Alex Killer and someone who could be fantasy relevant every once in a while. Someone who you could pick up and potentially get a nice run of points from. By the way, Alex Killer and Dave is mentioning in the chat room, he thinks Killer are going to go bonkers this season. I think it's possible that Killer <laughs> might surprise you, Brian. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, look at the depth chart on Tampa Bay. You might end up with a line of like Stamkos, Druin, and Killorn, and then Johnson, Palat, and Kucherov line Which is the same situation that Killorn's had for most of his career while putting up like 50 points plus or minus four. Okay. 50 plus four equals 54. That wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, that's the high end. It's more of a minus four. All right. All right. Let's go back to Florida. All right. So obviously good news for Marcia. So for now, keep in mind, guys, this is preseason line projections. Like the coach could change his mind one game into the season and everything could be thrown off. So don't go and spend all your fab budget to pick up Jonathan Marcia. So someone you might want to spend your budget on if he's available, but I guess it's a shallower league. You see Jokinen, like I said, maybe he won't jump to the top line, though he might, but he very likely will jump to the top power play to join Barkov, Yager, and then like Keith Yandel and Aaron Ekblad. That could be a very strong power play. And you see Jokinen has a golden ticket to join it right now. So I really like his chances. I think he's the main person who benefits from this injury. Then Marcia so, and then like you say, Brian, maybe the people who get hurt are Barkov and Yager who lose a really awesome left winger on their line. But okay, let's move on. One more injury, actually a couple more injuries. More minor injuries, more interesting just because of the consequences of them. Let's go to Philadelphia. Michael Delzato is going to be out four to five weeks with a lower body injury. Obviously, no one was going to draft Michael Delzato. He was somewhat fantasy relevant a couple of years ago. Then last year, he wasn't really doing much and then got injured right actually as he was starting to do something. So who knows what could have been and maybe what could still happen once he comes back. But in the meantime, this really opens up a spot, right, for Provorov, who's made the team for Philadelphia. And then there's still also Mark Streit, who is someone that maybe everyone's forgotten because everyone's talking about Ghost Bear and Provorov as the two exciting defensemen on Philadelphia. Mark Streit is still there and he had a nice run at the end of last season. I think it was Voracek who was injured and Streit got on to the top power play. They ran two defensemen. So maybe that won't happen for him again, but he still was putting up some decent points. So don't forget 
about Mark Strait. And also, though, I guess the main thing is good news for Provorov, who now is going to get even more minutes. It was already looking like he was going to get decent minutes. But Del Zotto is a guy who ate a lot of minutes. Those have to go somewhere. Well, and Gudas is also going to be missing the first six games of the season, which also bodes well for Provorov's even strength ice time. Emphasis on even strength. I don't know that he's going to sneak on to a power play unit. I checked this with Dave Isaac on Twitter, who is a great Flyers beat writer. And he suggested that the first unit is probably going to have Ghost Bear. And the second unit is probably going to feature Strite and Andrew McDonald, at least to start the season. I don't know that Provrov is going to walk right into that spot on the power play. If he does, it's going to be on the second unit, which is reasons enough to, I, I think, hold off and not get super excited about him. Like he's got the scoring capability. It's just a matter of him having to flex it exclusively at even strength. And even if he does get on that second power play unit, let's take a look at who else is on that unit. Dale Weiss, Sean Couturier, Nick Cousins. Those are the guys just listed in front of me right now, but it's not necessarily a place where a lot of points are going to get put up. And don't forget that first unit is just totally dominant. Like they lean on that. It's one of the best units in the league. The power play two unit just comes on when those guys need a few seconds to take a breather. Yeah. Speaking of that first power play unit, we should mention that it's looking like Travis Konechny is going to have a decent role with Philadelphia this year. I wanted to bring him up, so now is as good a time as any. It's looking like line two is going to be Couturier, Voracek, and Konechny, and then Giroux, Simmons, and eventually Braden Shen on line one. Braden Shen, though, suspended for three games from an incident in the playoffs last year, so Michael Roffel is looking is going to be playing with Giroux and Simmons in the meantime. So for a short-term ad, if you want like a one-week ad, you know, Raffle's been there before and never really done much, but you might get a good game out of him if you wanted to take a flyer on someone in a super deep league for the short term. But yeah, Travis Konechny, maybe he could end up on that top power play while Braden Shen is injured. We'll have to see what happens, but he's someone who had a great preseason. He made the team. In my interview earlier this week with Peter Harling, he pointed out that the problem with Konechny is he might be a bit injury prone and someone who could, you know, get hurt, but whatever. Pick him up as a late guy in your draft. If he gets injured, you could stash him in your IR or you can just drop him, whatever. But for now, it looks like he's going to be in a good position. So very interesting for Philadelphia. I have to say I'm a little bummed as a Voracek owner in the cupful. Why can't he be on the top line with Giroux and Simmons? But obviously they want to spread the offense around. And hey, line two is better than line three or four, which is where Voracek found himself for a bit of time last season. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not one to get super excited about prospects, especially ones that we've seen essentially nothing of in the NHL or even the AHL to date. But Travis Konechny is my low-key Calder candidate for this season. I'm really excited. I've seen him play. He was with the Ottawa 67s for a little while, and he was just incredible. He could just take over a play anytime he wanted. Not that he's going to be able to do that in the NHL, but I think he's got the tools to be scoring, especially with the line mates that he's going to have. I think if I'm going to give a low-key Calder candidate, I'm going to say it's going to be a defenseman. I don't really want to say a name, but I think it's going to be... Why not? Well, okay, I I think it's going to be like Wierenski or Provorov or like maybe even Zaitsev. I think it still surprises. I have a feeling that could happen. You pick one. You can just pick a position. My low-key Calder candidate is a forward. All right, fine. I'll say Zaitsev. How about that? Okay, done. I I have him in the couple and I'm excited. Put it on the board. I know I probably should like drop him for Wierenski because people are saying he'll be better. And now that I'm saying this, maybe someone in my league will pick up Wierenski before I have the chance. But no, I am sticking with Zaitsev. I like him. I don't know why. He's 24. He's put up points before. 
We're bouncing all over the place. Honestly, right. we already have so much content. So let's keep going here. I wanted to mention the injury to Yunus Corposalo, which basically cemented his being sent back to the minors, even once he's healthy. So the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to start the season with Bobrovsky and McElhenney as their starting goalies, which means that, of course, Bobrovsky is going to get a ton of starts. We had some fears that if Corposalo made the team, he could challenge Bobrovsky for starts this season. Maybe that'll happen later, like at some point. But for now... Sergei Bobrovsky, he's the number one goalie on a not a great team, but if you need starts and potentially good numbers, we've heard some reasons over the summer series why maybe he won't be able to put up the numbers we at one point expected from him. But still, a decent goalie, I feel like maybe he's a bit too underrated going into drafts this year, especially now that Corposalo is going to be in the minors. Yeah, Corposalo traded with Bobrovsky really well last season, even when Bobrovsky was healthy. He put up strong performances, better performances most of the year than Bobrovsky did. So what this says is it removes that internal competition that Bobrovsky was potentially facing. McElhinney is not internal competition. He's a guy to step in like once every 15 games or whenever they want to rest Bobrovsky. So good news for Bobrovsky owners there and good news for future Corposalo owners. He's going to be playing a lot in the AHL, which is good news. You know, a lot of people in the chat room here, when I started bringing up defensemen, they're getting like mad at me for not mentioning Mikhail Sergachev on Montreal. A lot of Habs fans here. Maybe there's more to him than I know. Okay, I'll bring him up later in the show, guys. We'll go over a few more of these defensemen. We're talking about injuries here. We got to stay on track, chat room. Keep me on track. Don't start taking me more off track. Okay. I just wanted to mention also a few guys who were injured that I think are just potential stash opportunities, like guys that you might just want to grab. If you're, you know, dropping someone anyways and picking someone up, maybe in the meantime, pick up one of these guys, throw them in your IR if you have a spot, and then, you know, pick up the guy you actually wanted. So Frank Vetrano, I think we mentioned on a previous podcast, he was slated to potentially have a good role on Boston before he got injured. So you might want to stash him. Marion Gabrick on LA, like he had a decent World Cup and it was looking like he was going to be a top line or at least top six guy on LA. Everyone's forgotten about Marion Gabrick, but if you have room in your IR, why not just throw him in? And then Brian, you added a name here to this list. Rantanen. Is Rantanen going to play? I think he's going to be playing soon. So if you want to stash him for his potential role on Colorado, you might want to do that ASAP. I guess it's a decent strategy, right? If your league is flexible, where you can put someone in your IR, and then you're still allowed to you know, make roster moves. It makes you're only not allowed to add players. Why not stash Rantanen if he's a free agent, see how he does for his first week, and then you could decide whether to activate him from your IR and actually drop someone, or just drop him if you don't think he's meeting your expectations. And with that, next fantasy hockey headliner. I don't even know what we're on. Are we on headlines still? But here's another section of things I wanted to mention. There are still some restricted free agents, players that haven't signed. We don't know if they're going to start the season with their team. And this has got people worried. Of course, the main name is Nikita Kucherov, who still hasn't signed with Tampa Bay, though apparently news has come out that he's on a plane from Russia to the USA. That's how Bob McKenzie breaks news, right? Like other guys are just going to write so-and-so signs for this much money for this many years. Bob McKenzie tells you when the guy is on the plane from Russia to the USA to really get the deal done. It's very exciting to picture Kucherov on a plane. Yeah, so I guess if you were a Kucherov owner that was thinking, oh man, what if he misses like a month or two? Looks like you don't have to worry, but we don't know for sure. And then Gojo also signed today, so he's someone you don't have to worry about. Ristolainen is an interesting case because, you know, we expect him to go in and be the top power play defenseman on Buffalo, a pretty sure thing for like 35, 40 points, decent number of blocks, but he hasn't signed. But he's been practicing with the team, so I think you don't need to worry about him. I think the main guy you have to worry about, aside from Jacob Truba, who we've already covered, I think, on the last week's show, is 
Hampus Lindholm on Anaheim. He still hasn't signed. Anaheim has a lot of defense and they don't necessarily need to rush to add him. Brian, what do you think is going to happen with Lindholm? And if you drafted him and the season starts, and let's say you're in a league where you can't put him in the IR because he's not technically injured, do you hold him and burn a roster spot for Hampus Lindholm? I don't know is my true answer. I mean, with a lot of these guys, it's really difficult. I sort of had faith that a lot of them would sign, and I'm so I'm glad to see the dominoes start to fall with Goudreau and Kucherov. We know Truba's going to sit out. Bristol Line and the Sabres are still talking very quietly. Raquel, like you said, hopefully gets done. But Lindholm is different because, well, the Ducks have only $7.5 million in cap space. Even on a bridge deal, I feel like Lindholm probably commands $5 million. So are the Ducks really willing to strap themselves for the rest of the season with Lindholm? I don't know that the answer is yes. I gave you my hot take like three weeks ago that Hampus Lindholm has played his last game as a member of the Anaheim Ducks. They can't keep him long-term. They have way too much committed to Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, Ryan Kessler. Even Kevin Bieksa is making too much money. Cam Fowler, everyone's making too much money in Anaheim. There's none left for Hampus Lindholm. So I'll be very surprised if they can get a long-term deal done with him. I think they're probably looking to the short-term. And I don't know if they're willing to spend as far up to the cap ceiling as it's going to take them to get him locked up for one more year with the Ducks. Yeah, so he's definitely a guy to watch. He's a very talented defenseman. Hasn't been given the full opportunity to produce just because he's on a team with Sammy Vatnin and Cam Fowler who all challenge him for power play time. So if he gets traded, maybe that could be a really good situation. He could be a guy who could really produce and do something special. People in the chat room are mentioning Shea Theodore. He, by the way, got sent down to the minors, so he's not going to start the season with the Ducks, but he's obviously another defenseman that in the future Lindholm would have to compete with. And Brian, you mentioned Ricard Raquel. I don't think I mentioned him. He's also still... Um a restricted free agent and him being not on the team has opened up a spot on the top line with Getzlaff and maybe Corey Perry or maybe Jacob Silverberg. It looks like in the last preseason game for Anaheim, they had Getzlaff and Silverberg and this mystery guy I'm about to say for a bit of the game. And then for the other half of the game, they had Getzlaff and Perry. And this guy I'm talking about is Nick Ritchie. So that's the guy every year. We do this pretty much every episode talking about who's the guy playing with Getzlaff and Perry, or at least with Getzlaff on the top line in Anaheim. It looks like the season is going to start with Nick Ritchie. Brian, who is this guy? And is he worth picking up? It's obviously a great situation. He was part of the return in the Bobby Ryan trade that sent Ryan to Ottawa. Nick Ritchie was the guy that the Ducks drafted with the pick they got in return back in 2014. He's had one pro season so far, had 30 points in 38 games with the San Diego Gulls and uh, had more than a cup of coffee with the Ducks at the same time. Four points, two goals, two assists in 33 games played last year, but in mostly a bottom six setting. This year, there was an article written by Eric Stevens, beat writer for the Ducks, who suggested that Richie is looking to that left wing spot, but has not been given any indication that it belongs to him. He gave a lot of good quotes about knowing he's got to earn it. It's a privilege to play there, yada, yada, yada. I'm hoping he gets there. I think he makes a lot of sense, especially if Raquel isn't starting the season with the Ducks. And there is some scoring upside there too. So I wouldn't go and grab him just yet unless you're in a very deep league. But the moment you see him on that top line, if you were the sort of person who used to grab Matt Bolesky and Patrick Maroon, then you're the sort of person that needs to grab Nick Ritchie. Yeah, Ian in the chat room here is saying Ritchie looks like he's going to be a career bottom six player. Well... 
We'll have to see. He might start as a top six player uh, as early as this week, but we'll see how it goes. And obviously, I'm not saying start his whole career, but that would be a great start to a potentially productive season for him. But of course, who knows what's going to happen? Also, a new coach in Anaheim, Randy Carlisle. We have no idea what he's going to be doing with his lines and how much shuffling he's going to do. I feel like back in Toronto, there wasn't that much shuffling. There was Bozak Kessel and Van Riemsdyk for pretty much the whole time he was there. Like that was the top line. So maybe Carlisle will stick with someone, but also obviously it's not such an entrenched line as that. So we'll have to see what happens. Let's now move away from restricted free agents. How about we talk about some surprising waived players that happened just today, some players that we weren't expecting, and we have to start with the news out of Winnipeg. This has been a crazy week of intrigue and maybe a crazy preseason and maybe a whole offseason of intrigue for the Winnipeg goalie situation. We all were talking about how this should be Connor Hellebuck's net. He should be the guy that is the number one goalie because Pavlik just can't cut it. But then it was looking kind of like in the preseason, like Pavlik was going to still be the guy. Like Hellebuck didn't totally run away with the job. He had a pretty weak last game for the preseason for whatever that's worth. He had a really good start to the preseason, but it looked kind of, I don't know. My hunch was that Pavlik was going to start the season as the number one goalie. Then out of nowhere, Pavlik gets waived today. So it looks like it is going to be Hellebuck and Hutchinson, which probably means it's going to be Hellebuck getting a ton of starts. So if you drafted Hellebuck in your league, hoping that he'll be able to get that spot, I think you just won the lottery because you're going to have the number one goalie on Winnipeg this year. So Brian, I guess first, let's talk about Andre Pavlik. Does he still have a shot of playing in the league this year? If someone drafted him, is there any chance of him having value or is he going to be in the minors in the AHL for the rest of the year? This seems to be a move that has some implications for next year's expansion draft. And it was a move that had to happen if the Jets were going to be able to protect Hellebuck. So I think it's sort of like a necessary evil for the Jets that way. I also think that Pavlik obviously didn't differentiate himself enough from the other two guys to force himself to be able to keep his spot on the roster regardless of implications for the expansion draft. And the move actually comes at a really interesting time. As somebody who has bashed Pavlik for years, I had finally, just recently, started coming around to the idea that maybe he's not so bad. So this is going to give us mm-hmm. an idea of how bad Pavlik really was. You know, some including Nick Mercadante, who I interviewed a few weeks back, and Ian Fleming, who we referenced on the show as well, who makes those save charts they're making the case that Pavlik was overly maligned for the last few years. And yeah, as I always pointed out, he was a bottom feeder for even strength save percentage. Pretty much my favorite guy to beat up aside from Cam Ward for that set. But Pavlik's Merc had per 60, so his goals saved above average adjusted for shot location. And his wins threshold numbers, they were close to guys like Ben Bishop and Marc-Andre Fleury who aren't guys that I would normally put in the same sentence as Andre Pavlik. The argument for Pavlik is that he's been poorly protected by the team in front of him, and that if you swapped him and Bishop, you may see their numbers switch too. It's not like Ben Bishop is going to come into Winnipeg and suddenly put up a safe percentage 10 or 15 points higher than what Pavlik used to, and Pavlik would do similarly well as Bishop has done in Tampa. So again, this is our chance to find out if it was Pavlik's fault or if Winnipeg is just a really awful scenario for a goalie. And anybody interested in Hellebuck or Hutchinson has to hope that the latter is not the case. We've seen Hutchinson and Hellebuck have great runs in the Winnipeg net, but they've also been terrible for other periods, which kind of sounds like Pavlik's profile. Mm -hmm. And the Jets' D is worse today than it was last year. They're without Shruba, who anchored that blue line low-key, And they haven't added anyone to handle that load or even any load in the meantime. So what I'm looking for in the Jets crease now is a lot of high danger scoring chances against 
And then we're going to see how Hellebuck can deal with it versus how Pavlik was able to deal with it. In fact, you know, I had Hellebuck as a risky tier three when we did our Smorgolis board episode, but now I'm actually putting him more in tier four and not even as like a top guy in tier four. Like I have him around the same goalies. Well, I'd have Elliot in tier four, then Varlamov, then Talbot. Then I maybe sneak Hellebuck in right there, right around the Andersons and Laner. Because again, Winnipeg plays in a tough division. Their defense is currently hurting badly. I have no idea how that's going to look this year without Truba. And, well, there's been this argument made that they are a team that hangs their goalie out to dry. So I'm not as excited about Hellebuck today as I was when he got called up last year. And on top of all this, Elon, you said he's going to be the number one starter, but the official line out of Winnipeg right now is that Hellebuck and Hutch are sharing the crease to start the season and someone's going to have to win the job. And I just wonder if it's that difficult a situation to play goalie in Winnipeg. Is any one of them going to be able to play well enough to earn the job? Brian, man, you've really changed your tune. (laughs) Like you loved Hellebuck. I guess I'll say that last year Hellebuck had a really good run until I guess he got tired at the end. So, but I guess you're saying that Jacob Truba was there and maybe that helped. I don't know. I don't see how reading that Pavlik maybe wasn't as bad as we thought makes Hellebuck any worse of an option. But I guess it's because you're saying he was left to sort of be exposed. That is why Pavlik was looking so bad. And so you're saying that's the same reason why that could potentially happen to Hellebuck. Yeah, I'm saying maybe we've been placing the blame in the wrong spot for all these years. Like, I don't think Pavlik is a great NHL goalie. I think maybe he's an average NHL goalie at best before, you know, in the last few years, I definitely put him below average. So I'm giving him a little more benefit of the doubt now and thinking that the problem was actually in front of him. And the problem, if it's in front of him, the, the D has gotten thinner. Paul Maurice is still there. So I don't know. Now's, now's where we find out if Hellebuck can overcome whatever challenges a goaltender in Winnipeg faces. Brian, you're really disappointing people in this chat room. When <laughs> I started talking about Hellebuck, everyone was like, woo, Helle, what a day. And now they're just saying like, Brian's splashing cold water on everyone's excitement. Brian's the fantasy wet blanket. That was actually me who wrote that. that oh, <laughs> I called myself the fantasy wet blanket. And uh, yeah, I warned people in the Facebook group prior to this episode. Everybody was like, who should I drop for Hellebuck? We got a question on Twitter, drop Talbot, add Hellebuck. That's a no-brainer, right? And I like totally poo-pooed Hellebuck as I'm doing now. I'm still excited. Like I think he's got great skill. I think he's going to be a legit NHL starter, hopefully an above-average one. It just might be a rocky road to get there at the outset. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm excited for Hellebuck. If he was available in my league, I would add him. I don't know if I would drop Cam Talbot for him, because I feel like Cam Talbot had a lot of success last year. Also, and on a team that's not known for being very goalie-friendly. So we'll have to see. Maybe they're close. But if you have someone else you could drop, if you're the guy who tweeted at us, you know, maybe don't drop Cam Talbot, but drop someone else for Hellebuck. Take a flyer, see how he does. I think it'll be okay. Brian's not as convinced. You you make interesting points. Let's move on to another surprisingly waived player today. P.A. Parento. I am shocked because I was ready to go into this episode talking about how P.A. Parento is a great sneaky ad because word was he was going to be starting the season on the top line on the Islanders with Andrew Ladd and John Tavares, which is what we expected to happen when he was signed over the summer. But just out of nowhere, Parento is like dropped. I really wanted, I feel like something else has had to have happened here for Parento to get waived like this when things seem to be going so well. I don't know if Brian, if you know any gossip 
But in the meantime, I feel like if you drafted or added P.A. Parento, I would wait on dropping him because I think he's good. And I feel like maybe another team will grab him off of waivers. He's the guy I think might get picked up and not end up going to his team's minor leagues. We'll have to wait and see. But this definitely is very intriguing and surprising to me. It is intriguing and surprising. I think Long Island or Brooklyn, perhaps, is where Parento wanted to be. And I doubt that he ever saw this sort of thing happening but apparently the Islanders considered his preseason disappointing. Interestingly enough, for all the hype that he was guaranteed to be on the top line with Tavares, he only played one preseason game on Tavares's wing. So I can't really explain what went sour between the two, especially because you look at Parento, and he's a guy who's got good scoring, good possession numbers, definitely a solid middle six guy who could step in on that top line if called for. He's 33 years old, so he's still got some left. And you'll remember, he was bought out of his contract in Montreal after being put in Michelle Therrien's doghouse almost from day one. But before that, he was a 50 and 60 point guy with Colorado. And last year, he led Toronto in points per 60 to even strength, essentially scoring points at the same rate as James Van Riemsdyk. He led Toronto in even strength points by a long shot, had 28 of them, uh, second in all situation points on Toronto with 41, four fewer than team leader Nazem Kadri. Like 41 sounds awful, but when you consider that the ceiling on Toronto was 45, eh, pretty good. So you figure why wouldn't the Islanders or any other team want this guy? There's no doubt in my mind he does not clear waivers. Somebody adds him and he switches situations I think the ideal situation for him right now especially with Gaudreau just signing Calgary is looking for a first line right winger and he would slot in with Monaghan and Gaudreau so nicely he's like he could be the next Yuri Hoodler Wow, I didn't even think about that. I was thinking maybe like New Jersey to play with Taylor Hall and Adam Henrique, but that's another interesting place in Calgary. Wow, so we'll have to see. I'm seeing in the chat room here some interesting points. First of all, Dave said that Parento was also playing on the top power play for most of the preseason. So that's an open spot, right? I guess we have to look at the Islanders here. Ian is saying that Parento was likely dropped because Barzil made the team. Matthew Barzil, I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Don't like give us a bad iTunes review just because I said his name <laughs> wrong, please. But he is a guy who was formerly drafted 16th overall by the Islanders. And he's a center, but maybe he could play the wing. Maybe he's going to end up getting a top line spot. He was also someone who was slotting in on the second power play. I wonder if this is good news for him, or maybe it's just someone like Anders Lee or Ryan Strom that gets another chance to be on the top power play and in the top six. Yeah. Also making pushes for Beauvilliers and Josh Hosang out of training camp. So I think it sounds so far like Hosang is going to start in the minors, but might be closer to a shot in the bigs sooner rather than later. And yeah, it seems like youth prevailed in Long Island, except I just feel like if you signed P.A. Parento to a contract, why not use him? There's still plenty of room. Like I'm looking at the depth chart and I see Chimera and Zizekas and Clutterbuck, although that is like their dream fourth line in Long Island right now. And maybe aside from that, there isn't a ton of room if you want to graduate these younger players into the organization. So weird call, but if you own Parento, if you drafted him and were excited by getting the bargain, maybe it's not playing with Tavares type bargain, but I still think he can be an effective top six player, at least a top nine player on essentially any team in the league. Yeah, so we'll have to see what happens. Dave is saying he doesn't want you, Brian, to be dashing his Troy Brower hopes. Yeah, I guess he drafted <laughs> him hoping he'll do well on Calgary. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Definitely Parento would be ahead of Brower in the depth chart. At least I think so. 
I don't know that Brower can keep up with Sean Monaghan and Johnny Goodrow. Like, they'll essentially be playing two forwards. He can just hang out in the middle of the ice. Ian in the chat points out that they play in Brooklyn. Ian, as long as they're the Islanders, I'm just going to have to keep saying that they're from Long Island. This is what comes naturally to mind. I'll try and make that adjustment. But there's an affinity. I have some nostalgia for Long Island. Forget Brooklyn. That means nothing to me. Uh, well, you know, maybe once we start actually watching some games this season, then we'll like see them talking about them as the Brooklyn Islanders. Maybe we'll be able to be more used to that. Guy keep going. Timu Polkinen was waived today, Brian. I feel like I just have to mention him, not that anyone drafted him or was thinking of grabbing him, but I feel like he was a guy that you've brought up a few times over the years on the podcast whenever he gets into a good position on Detroit. I guess he like had a couple of cups of coffee in the top six, and you would always say, oh, look at Timu Polkinen, he's good. I never actually really knew why, so maybe you could explain it, or maybe you could now say, I guess I was wrong about Timu Polkinen. I never say I'm wrong, ever. How dare you suggest that I was wrong about Timu Polkinen? You know, I'm going to talk about him, but I think first, Elon, did we answer the question, who's going to play with Tavares now? Well, we threw out Barzil and I threw out right. Strom or yeah. Anders Lee. Yeah, I mean, Strom was being billed as like the second line center, but now maybe he gets bumped up to right wing on the first line and Barzil plays center on the second. Shane Prince, uh, I think he plays on the left side, but I wonder if when he's back from his injury in a few weeks, if he's somebody that they try and finagle into the top line. It could be like any. It could be like Brock Nelson. He's been there before. Josh Bailey. Josh like, Bailey. Yeah. Who knows? Like these are guys who. This is the type of player who, like, even when they're in a good position, don't tend to put up too many points. Like Brock Nelson had a stretch where he was looking like really valuable, and then even he fell off. So unless it's like a name, like someone that I'm really excited about, like maybe like a Ryan Stromer, Anders Lee, just because they have some sort of pedigree to their names and we think they could have talent and maybe playing with Andrew Ladd on the left side with Tavares maybe that means something I wouldn't rush to be grabbing anyone I was thinking of potentially grabbing P.A. Parento he's still a free agent in the couple obviously now I'm going to wait on that but other than that I don't think I'm going to be rushing to grab whoever now takes the right wing spot at least until I see some offense out of him and of course we'll report on that next week on Keeping Carlson if that happens. Right. And we'll also report on where Timu Polkinen potentially ends up. He's a 24-year-old forward, had huge AHL numbers, 61 points in 46 games played back in 2014-15. But his game has not come together yet in the NHL. And the reason why is up for debate. It's really interesting when, you know, I'm on Twitter, which is where I see the conversation happen. And a lot of my trusted sources were on one side, and a lot of my trusted sources were on the other side. One camp is saying that his skating just isn't good enough, that Polkinen has this thing where he can't separate himself from opponents to get good shots off when he does get a shot off, like it's from a a further distance out than you'd want. He doesn't get in close to the net. And then the other camp says that his actual shot attempt numbers are near elite and that he's a scorer just waiting for a chance to be deployed as a scorer. So they're like, well, he's taking a ton of shots and actually they're better shots than you might think from the outset. And probably the best line I got was from Jack Hahn, who's a guy on Twitter that I follow. He's an analyst. And he suggested that somebody pick up Polkinen, pair him with a middle six passer who can't shoot like DeHarnay or Matt Cullen or Valtteri Filpula. And that would be a situation where he can succeed. I would like to see if Polkinen can succeed. I'm not convinced he can, but Remember, he was like a sleeper going into last year's drafts. So let's hope he gets a chance somewhere so we can find out one way or the other and put this to bed. We'll find out maybe, or maybe we'll never hear his name again. I don't plan on bringing him up on the podcast unless we see some offense out of him. So we'll see what happens. Brian, okay, let's go to now goalies. 
a little bit of goalie intrigue from the preseason still. I guess we already talked about the main thing in Winnipeg. Always interesting to check in on Dallas, the tandem of Niemi and Lettinen, the guys you could potentially draft super late in your draft, get them both, and then hope that one of them or both of them get you a ton of wins. What, what's the status going into the season now? Is it going to be Niemi? Is it going to be Lettinen? Or are they just going to split it just like last year? Both have horrible save percentages and a lot of wins. Well, I mean, I think that's what it's going to end up being. Last year, they split time. They were both crummy. And it ended up being Lettinen, who was slightly better and seemed to be slightly more trusted. He played the last several games of their playoff run last season, which I kind of forgot when I drafted Niemi in my cup full league. So imagine my relief when in the preseason, Niemi won both his starts with a 941 save percentage, while Lettinen lost both his starts with an 885 save percentage. Pretty large gap. It seems pretty clear which guy you're going to want to make your opening night starter with those numbers. The question is just how long can Niemi start for without blowing himself up and giving Lettinen an easy opportunity to come in and steal starts. Right. So we'll see. And obviously there's always the risk that another goalie comes in to Dallas and just takes away both of their jobs if they end up being horrible this year. So that'll be fun to follow. Yeah, I did joke about perhaps the Stars put in a claim on Andre Pavlik, although I don't think it's a fantastic way for them to use their precious little cap space. Yeah, oh yeah, that's going to solve the goalie controversy, bringing Pavlik to compete with Niemi and Lettinen, and now they have three guys, three disappointing guys. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people think Bishop or Fleury are going to be the goalies made available to Dallas, and I've seen by different measures that Pavlik is actually comparable to those two guys. I mean, you know, you can't, the the fancy stats don't explain everything, Brian. This might be one of those cases where I don't know if I'm going to really believe that Bishop, the almost Vesna trophy winner from last year, is anywhere close to Andre Pavlik. I, I t- definitely get what you're saying. The shot quality was a lot easier for Bishop, and that might have been the reason why he had a higher save percentage and all of that. But I, I don't know. I'm going to need, it's just hard for me to, that's hard for me to take. Like, and I, I'm into the advanced stats. We use them a lot on the show, but I don't know. Okay, we'll have to give me a few sources before I'm going to believe that those two are comparable. But okay, let's move on to the other goalie I wanted to talk about. Did you know? Hey, in the chat room, guess right now, who's the backup goalie on San Jose? And actually, I'm remembering now that there's a delay with the chat room. But Brian, did you know who the backup goalie was on San Jose before you saw it in my doc this morning? I think I was ready to say Mantis Armalis, but I guess he lost out in the training camp battle for that backup spot. Yes, anyone here in the chat room? No, all right, they might still be behind. It is Aaron Dell, believe it or not. He's the guy who's going to be having the job backing up Martin Jones, at least to start the season. And I think that's pretty interesting. I saw this on Roto World and I was like, I don't know who this person is. But Martin Jones, he's a good goalie, obviously. He's a guy who's been drafted really high in leagues because he's a good goalie on a good team. But he's not like an amazing goalie. And maybe he's going to need to be rested sometimes. And, you know, the backup goalie on a really good team can sometimes be valuable, unless it's, of course, the backup goalie on Washington that never plays. But I wonder if Arendelle is someone just to watch or at least know about for spot starts whenever Martin Jones does sit. Like, who is this guy, Brian? Can you tell me a quick thing? Just like, is he a good goalie? Or is this like the type of guy who you never want to start because he might blow up your save percentage? Well, that remains to be seen until we can see a few games of him in the NHL. I can give you the quick rundown. He's 27 years old, 27 and a half in November. And he's had a, seems like a somewhat circuitous path to the NHL, was undrafted, played in the Central Hockey League for the Allen Americans, then moved on to the East Coast Hockey League with the Utah Grizzlies, found his way to the Abbotsford Heat, 
of the AHL soon after that ended up anyway, I'm not going to give you the, the whole thing. You can go read that on hockey DB yourself. The most important part is that over the last two years in 66 games with the San Jose organization, he's had a save percentage of about 924, which is pretty impressive. Now AHL save percentage does not necessarily translate into NHL save percentage, but it's better than having a really crummy one, I guess. I think Martin Jones is going to carry the load much like he did last year. But if he gets injured, then we'll find out what Arendelle is made of. Yeah, well, I'm seeing here a quote by Pete DeBoer talking about Arendelle. And I guess I remember from our interview with Stefan show that maybe you can't trust what coaches and organizations say about their players because it might not necessarily be the truth. But he's saying he's done a good job in preseason. He's calm, composed, and athletic. He's a quick goalie. It sounds like Pete DeBoer impressed with Arendelle. Take it for what it's worth. If Martin Jones gets injured, that's the guy you're going to want to jump on, at least for now, unless we're seeing some names in the chat room that maybe they could still claim Scott Wedgwood, who was put on waivers. Let's move on. Next, I wanted to talk about prospect defensemen in the uh, preseason, and I guess we sort of talked about some of them above. Brian, what are your thoughts? I talked about this with Peter Harling. Between Zaitsev, Provorov, and Wierenski, or someone else, who do you think is going to lead rookie defensemen in scoring this season? I'm going to take Wierenski. I think he's going to step right into Columbus and do great things. I think he might already be their best offensive defenseman, which of course isn't the greatest accolade considering the rest of the team, but it's still important to his point production. I'm looking forward to him stepping onto a power play unit much sooner than Provorov and Zaitsev are expected to. I don't know. I still think Zaitsev, but that, that's actually probably a sleeper pick, but I have a feeling. These guys, I guess because last year Panarin did so well for me from the KHL. Everyone's getting so mad at us, by the way. Brian, all right, Sergachev, Mikhail Sergachev. Who is he? Is he good? Everyone wants me to ask you. <laughs> he made the team. Really well-posed question. Who is he? Is he good? He made the team. <laughs> uh, interesting trivia that I'm going to give you from Eric Engels over at Sportsnet. Sergachev is the first 18-year-old defenseman to start a season with the Canadians since Matthew Schneider did it oh. in 1987-88. And if he stays for the entire season, he'd be the first 18-year-old to stay with Montreal all year since Peter Svoboda played 73 games back in 84-85. Some great 18-year-olds of the past in Montreal. I don't know if Sergeyev's going to be the next one. He's pretty green, though. He was the ninth overall pick in this summer's entry draft. He's likely slotted in to start the year on the third pairing next to Alexei Emelin. I'm not sure if he gets on that second power play unit. I imagine he's probably their fourth best offensive defenseman behind Shea Weber and Andre Markov. So actually their third best offensive defenseman. It helps him, by the way, that Jeff Petrie is going to be out to start the season. So we'll see what kind of way he's deployed. I don't know that he creeps his way onto that first unit, though Montreal, I think, is likely to run with four forwards and a defenseman, and that defenseman will, in all likelihood, be Shea Weber. All right, well, some people in the chat room are disagreeing with you. I have a feeling they're Habs fans. Benjamin is saying with Petrie out, he will start on the power play, and Thomas is saying Markov shall mentor him. Okay, hey, we'll bring him up. First thing, that he does something and gives puts up some points. I hope, as an owner of Markov in the Kakuffle, that he doesn't steal any of Markov's power play time. Okay. There, hopefully we've given our Sergachev lip service. Hope you guys like it. I don't know why I'm being so hard on him, by the way. Like, I guess I just didn't know much about him and maybe I'm not a big Habs fan, but no, no, obviously that's a silly thing to say because I also have Shea Weber in one league and I have Gallagher in a league. I love the Habs. Okay, 
And another name that I wanted to bring up, and Ian Wolf just put his name in the chat in big, bold letters as maybe another sleeper to lead defenseman or at least have a significant impact as a rookie defenseman, Johan Ovitu. He was brought up by Peter Harling in my interview on Wednesday. By the way, if you didn't check that out, it was awesome. Peter Harling was on point, just giving me projections for every single rookie this year. It was awesome. But yeah, Johan Ovitu, defenseman for the New Jersey Devils. He's 27 years old. So like Zaid said, this is a guy who has already a lot of pro experience. It's not just some young guy like Mikhail Sergachev, last time I mentioned him, I promise. Johan Ovitu, though, you know, we've been talking for a while, though. We don't know who's going to be the top power play defenseman on New Jersey. We were thinking maybe Damon Severson, but that was for sure not a sure thing. And maybe this Johan Ovitu, who had a really good preseason, maybe he'll be the guy and he'll surprise all of us and play with the likes of Taylor Hall, Kyle Palmieri. Can you name any other New Jersey Devils? Adam Henrique, Michael Camilleri, like who knows who's going to be on the top power play, but there's some decent names there. And maybe Johan Ovitu will be one of them. And maybe he could put up like 30, 40 points. Is it possible, Brian? Anything's possible. I don't know how possible that is. I mean, if you look at the guys who had the power play time on the point for New Jersey last year, David Schlemko led the group in points for 60 minutes, followed by John Moore and then Damon Severson. So the little power play time that Severson got he didn't really capitalize on. So I guess that means either that Ovitu could step right in and do great things because he's got the talent that was missing last year, or that a lot of New Jersey power play quarterbacks are somewhat doomed to failure because when's the last time we had a super relevant defenseman quarterbacking the power play on New Jersey for a full season? And like Marek Zidlitsky is probably the closest we've come to that in the last three or four years. So while I'm very excited by Johan, I'm just going to call him by his first name because I'm going to mangle his last name. I'm not sure exactly what the ceiling is for anybody in even his ideal deployment situation. All right. So we'll have to see. By the way, some other names have been thrown out in the chat. Yes, Devontae Smith-Pelly, Travis Zajac, also players on New Jersey. There's also Pavel Zasha who I know that Brian always says I mispronounce his name, and then Peter Harlan called him Zaka, so now maybe I think that I'm correct. Maybe it's been Pavel Zaka this whole time. Do you know any other New Jersey Devils players tweeted us at Keeping Carlson? <laughs> I should mention Devontae Smith-Pelly. I'm seeing the latest news for the New Jersey Lions was that he was going to start the season on the top line with Taylor Hall and Adam Henrique, so you might be able to get some sneaky value out of Devontae Smith-Pelly for as long as he stays there. He has shown with a high no. shooting percentage. no. We've talked about this already. Even in a perfect situation, Devontae Smith-Pelly is not going to put up fantasy relevant point totals unless you're in the deepest of deep leagues that also value peripherals. Brian, I think I might be willing to make a bet with you at some point. Like for a given fantasy week, Devontae Smith, like I think in week one, I think Devontae Smith-Pelly is going to get two points. So we could talk about this off the show and you could say whether or not you think that's going to happen. Two points in three games, that wouldn't be too bad for a guy you pick up in free agency. I'll take the under. All right. Okay. Let's move on. We still wanted to talk about some line combinations. There's all of these new interesting lines that are not what we expected going into the season. And like I said earlier, we can't put too much stock into preseason lines, but these are the lines that it looks like the coaches are thinking of going with. And the ones that really interest me start with the Chicago Blackhawks. This is not what I expected because apparently the plan is to spread out the offense a bit, which includes putting Artemi Panarin not with Patrick Kane? What? <laughs> and you know, this is one thing that we were saying in the off-season episodes that we wanted to see. How would Panarin do not playing with Patrick Kane? We're maybe going to get our chance. It's looking like he's going to start on the top line with Jonathan Taves and Richard Panic, And then Kane will be with Anisimov and Mott. 
or is it Mate? Someone who Peter Harling said might be a sneaky sleeper pick this season. And then Hosa, then that would leave him down on the third line with the likes of Kruger and Hartman. So I'm not liking this for Hosa. Not sure about this for Panarin because he's really good. And obviously Jonathan Taves isn't a bad center. Very interested to see what this means for Mott playing with Patrick Kane. Yeah, or none of it is actually going to happen. That was while you were away, Elon, that you saw those lines posted the next day, aka this morning. Tracy Myers posted lines that looked a lot more normal. You had Taze on the top line centering Hosa and Panic. And then on the second line, you had Anisimov with Panarin and Kane. And then on the third line, you had Mote. I'm going to call him Mote until I know otherwise. Kruger and Hartman. And so I guess the thought is that maybe Panic doesn't hold up so well on that top line, although he's been very serviceable in the stops he's made in his career so far in Tampa and Toronto. And then you have Schmaltz on the fourth line, who's the other guy that you and Peter Harling suggested as somebody who could step into a top six role should one open up next to Taves and Hosa. So I'm hoping that's how things stay. I think it makes sense. I don't feel... Like the Blackhawks really have the depth to try and spread out their offense across three lines. I think they'd be a good team to go with the top six and a bottom six. Also keep in mind, Andrew Desjardins is out for four to six weeks to start the season, which means that they are really thin up front. It's going to be really interesting to see how the Chicago team fares against really tough competition in the first few months of the season. Yeah, I mean, we still have recommended, you know, to grab Corey Crawford because he's a decent goalie on a really good team. But Chicago is looking maybe a little more holy than usual. Like, it looks like there are some spots where you hope that Mott and Panic can pan out. Ooh, pun. And maybe, you know, things could be okay, but you don't know. If they don't, then this could be a bit of trouble. But I'm happy to hear that Hosa is on the top line and Panarin and Kane are back together. All is right in the world. Obviously, we'll have to see what happens when the season starts. Just goes to show how you shouldn't make any big decisions for your fantasy team based on what you see on Twitter one day, especially because the next day it could change before a game even happens. So with that in mind, let me tell you another complete speculation that might not end up (laughs) happening. But I think this is actually something that I would have expected. I just wanted to point it out in case you forgot these guys exist it's looking like the first line on arizona is going to be domi verbata and hansel don't forget they signed verbata in the offseason and you know what verbata and hansel had success together in the past verbata is not too far removed from like 25 30 goal seasons on the arizona coyotes add max domi onto that line that's a lot of talent that could be a good line if verbata and hansel are free agents in your league you know hansel don't make any long-term plans with him because he's probably going to get injured but in the short term i like that line i think they're going to be able to put up some points early in the season and don't forget last year arizona started the season so hot i feel like that's happened before maybe i'm wrong but i know that arizona at least last year had a hot start maybe it could happen again and if it does these are the three guys who are probably going to be the biggest point producers on offense obviously oliver ekman larson from the back yeah, I think they had some pretty high percentages to start the year last year. Namely, Anthony Duclair was way up there. Max Domi was great all year long, though. That first line would be really fun to watch. You've got three, I feel like, different generations of hockey player. You've got Max Domi as the youngest, Martin Hansel's in the middle, and Radim Verbada sunsetting. Mm-hmm. The second line is very interesting with Dylan Strom and Anthony Duclair, along with Tobias Reeder. And should, or I shouldn't say should, when Martin Hensel gets injured, keep an eye on Dylan Strom if he's available in your league. That would be a very quick ad for me. Elon, there's a ton of different line situations happening in the league right now. Do you just want to trade a few? I'll give a thought on one. You give a thought on another. Go for it. Why don't you go next? Okay. How about Zach Smith? 20-goal scorer Zach Smith, who's 
hoping to score 25, or at least that's what his general manager expects of him this year. He's going to make the top six in Ottawa. He's going to have that opportunity. Brent Wallace of TSN says that Guy Boucher wants to have Smith with Brassard and Ryan on opening night. And that means you have a first line of Hoffman, Tourist, Stone, or I say alternate first line. We've probably got a 1A, 1B situation in Ottawa. So so maybe hidden value in Zach Smith, although he saw a lot of his success with Elon, was it Stone and Peugeot last year? So I don't know if Brassard and Ryan are going to be the same line mates capable of making the magic happen. They'll also need to help conjure up a high shooting percentage as he had in his short run last year. I mean, we'll see also if he stays on the top six. Like, I don't know. Zach Smith, like, there is potential competition for him. I guess, yeah, with Clark MacArthur injured, there's a spot there to play with, like, Turris and Stone or Brassard and Bobby Ryan, wherever Mike Hoffman doesn't play. But, you know, we'll see. I wouldn't get too excited about it. There's very little internal competition for those top six spots. It's a solid top six but it falls off quite dramatically. After that, Matt Pumple is the other guy who was not sent down today, even though it was semi-expected that he would be. I can't remember. I think he has to clear waivers. But anyway, he could start the season with the team, and maybe he would be a guy who can slide into that top six on the left side next to Brassard. Okay, Elon, your next team. All right, how about I'm going to go to Boston here. Something that interested me with the Boston lines we've been seeing recently is that Ryan Spooner has been playing on the wing on the second line. Last year, he was a center on line three, and he was also playing on the top power play, so he was somewhat fantasy relevant, and I was liking Ryan Spooner last year, but now I might really like him because if he plays with David Krejci and David Backus on the second line, that's not too shabby. I think that Ryan Spooner could be the type of guy that you could grab as a free agent early on, and he might become a really solid fantasy producer. I can see like 55 points out of him. He's come close to that already. Plus, he has experience playing on the top power play. Maybe the acquisition of David Backus pushes Spooner off of the top power play. We'll have to see. And then also on the top line, then you have Bergeron, Marshawn, and it's been David Pasternak, someone we've been excited about for a couple of seasons now. So we'll see if Pasternak could keep that spot playing with those great linemates. That's two very fantasy relevant lines to me. Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak, Spooner, Krejci, and Bacchus. If any of those six guys are available as free agents in your league, you might want to take a look at them. By the way, David Backus, Brian and I grabbed him in our joint league that we drafted for pretty high because this league is a points league that gives a lot of points for hits. I didn't realize because I haven't been in a hits league too long. This guy gets a lot of hits. So if he could put up like 50, 55 points, he could be a really good value guy in a league that also counts hits. For sure. I'm just going to say Spooner 55 points. That would be really lovely. I don't know how likely it is. I'd love for him to prove me wrong. If there's one guy on Boston that I'm counting on for a 55 point season who's never done it before. It's probably David Pasternak. Okay, I'm going to share just a couple thoughts on power play units in St. Louis. We were already there, but I'm just going to revisit just to placate any Shattenkirk owners. He's still the guy on power play one going into the season. He and Petrangelo are on the back end of the first unit. And Pareko is the lone D-man on the second unit. Perron is the other point guy with Laterra, Berglund, and Fabry up front. And then in Anaheim, a place we've already talked about as well, but I wanted to mention Jacob Silverberg taking turns on that top unit. That could be a really good place for him to finally put up some of the points. We've seen the upside from him. We've seen some great flashes of talent. The power play would be a great chance to let it blossom a little more than we've been able to see it even strength. 
Silverberg has been a guy we've been waiting for for a while. He was a sleeper pick a couple of seasons ago. Maybe it was last season. A lot of people thought that Silverberg might have a breakout. It didn't really happen, but he still is getting the opportunities. He puts up a lot of shots on goal. I like him as a potential guy I would grab late in a draft, especially if there's a chance he's going to get on that top power play, something that we haven't seen out of him yet. Question from the chat, who's going to take Erickson's place on Boston's power play? I mean, you got a lot of names. Like, I've already mentioned them, but like Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak, Krejci, Bacchus, Spooner, they could all be there. So I'm sure there's someone that could take Erickson's spot. I doubt that any of them will repeat his production because he had a really great year last year. But, you know, hopefully someone will be able to do something similar. I want to go quickly to Buffalo. I have a feeling that this is going to be a big year for Sam Reinhardt. He had a good preseason. He's been playing with Jack Eichel, who a lot of people expect is going to really break out this year. So he's just a guy, if he's still a free agent in your league, if he is someone that you could get late in your draft, if you haven't drafted yet, I'm liking him. I don't know. I just have a good feeling that it's looking like he's going to start the season playing with Eichel and Tyler Ennis on line two, which also leaves a really nice line one. Evander Kane, Ryan O'Reilly, and Kyle Ocposo. Unfortunately, O'Reilly and Ocposo are injured. Hopefully, they'll both come back to start the season. We're not sure. They're all, they're all minor injuries, but Buffalo's had a history of having some struggles with injuries. So hopefully, they could be healthy for a while so we could see what they can really do. But yeah. Sam Reinhardt is maybe my sleeper pick of the year if someone asks me right now. Him or maybe like Oliver Bjorkstrand. I also have a feeling about him. Just he's done well every time we've seen him play. Like at the end of last season, preseason, maybe I still want to see a few good games out of him to start this season, but it looks like he's going to be given the opportunity. Yeah, just to recall, last year's sleeper candidates, Marco Dano got sent down earlier today. All right, I'm going to look into Minnesota's lines right now for Michael Russo. Uh, The benefactor in Minnesota right now looks to be Charlie Coyle. He gets to play on the first line on the right side with Eric Stahl centering and Parisi on the left side. Then the second line is Grandland on the left side, Koivu center and Pominville on the right side. And then on the third line, you have Niederreiter, who I'm hoping there's room for him to move up. I was kind of hoping he'd get a shot at a top six opportunity. Although if they run with the top nine, which Minnesota kind of can, um, maybe he'll be okay in terms of getting some sort of opportunity where he is. And some great leadership on line four with Joel Erickson Eck sitting pretty <laughs> as the centerman there. Pretty even talent distribution in top six as there has been in Minnesota. And then I'm going to go to Detroit where it's actually the juicier situation for several reasons. I'll just tell you, the top line looks great. Thomas Tatar, Franz Nielsen, and Henrik Zetterberg. It's the one line that makes any kind of sense to me. Because on the next line, you've got Dylan Larkin playing with Justin Ablocator and Riley Shan, which really hurts Larkin's value. And then you've got the third line that has Nyquist and Vanek on the wings, but Helm in the center. So I feel like if you took the wings from the third line and the center from the second and smushed them together, you would have a legitimate scoring line out of that. Instead, I feel like they've spread their lines too thin. And the fourth line is Ott Glendening Miller which are the guys that were chosen ahead of the youth, like Timo Polkinen, uh, one of Athanasiu or Anthony Mantha appears to have a shot at making the team per last report from Ansar Khan. But going back to that top line, Thomas Tatar, I think this bodes really well for him. I was kind of down on him after last season. If you recall, we talked him up after he had 56 points in his rookie season in 2014, 2015, And then he saw his time on ice cut by two minutes per game last year. He ended up the season with 21 goals and 25 assists for 46 points in a year where a lot of people were looking for him to confirm the breakout, but he ended up finishing 10 points short of his previous year's total. The bright side was that his even strength points per 60 minutes was virtually identical across the two seasons. So if you gave him the same number of minutes, 
he would have produced the same number of even strength points, which would have put him a lot closer to that previous 56-point mark with about 52 points on the season, the difference being four power play points that I'm not giving him credit for being able to make up. Right, so maybe a really good situation for Tatar. I mean, I feel like these Detroit Lions are going to be shuffled quite a bit like they were last year. And we have to see, especially with a new sort of centerpiece centerman in Franz Nielsen, we'll have to see like who he plays best with. But, you know, like you say, according to the most recent lines as tweeted by Ansar Khan, that, that's what we're seeing. I have a feeling that I wouldn't put too much stock into it, like Nyquist playing with Helm and Vanek. Seems like an odd line. We'll, we'll have to see what happens there. And I should correct before I go any further that it was Tatar's sophomore season where he had 56 points in 2014-15. That's also the season where he played with Pavel Datsuk. So maybe that was a reason he was able to do so well, except he did keep up the same points per 60 scoring rate playing with Riley Shane as a centerman and Gustav Nyquist was the other winger. I actually think if he gets a stick with Nielsen and Zetterberg, that's going to be the best line he's played on in his career, or at least the most complete line before it was Datsuk and Darren Helm. I'm interested though, to see what Jeff Blashill does to manage the situation. Cause he's the one who took two minutes away from Tatar last year. I want to know if he's ready to give them back. I hope he does. If he does, Watch for Tatar to climb above the 50-point mark and hopefully 55-point mark if all things go well. Brian, I am so excited for the season to start. Like now it's like not complete speculation because we're seeing actual line combos. Maybe we're putting too much stock into line combos just because we haven't seen them in so long. It'll be nice next week to actually reference line combos that happened in games and who played with who and who had success with who. It's going to be a huge episode next Sunday when we're able to finally cover actual NHL action. Hopefully this has given you the last tidbits you need to go into your season, pick up any last free agents, or if you haven't drafted any last tidbits that will help you get that good guy in your draft. Sorry again to Crosby owners. I guess I'm closing out the show. I didn't ask you, Brian, do you have anything else you want to say about the preseason or anything before we get into the season? Well, I'm surprised you missed it. This is your jam to talk about preseason results and how important they are for the rest of the season. I'm just going to point out a couple guys who led the league During preseason, Brandon Peary led the Rangers in points in preseason and tied for the league lead in goals with four of them, four goals and two assists in five games played. It's weird where he's going to slot in right now, though, because I think Jimmy Vesey might have that second line left winger spot locked down. And that's like the one open spot in the top six. Maybe Zabanejad doesn't start the season as second line center, although I think that's ridiculous. So Peary had a great preseason. There's just not really anywhere for him to go aside from maybe third line center or third or fourth line left wing. So we'll see where he ends up to start the season. This wouldn't be the first time that I get excited about Peary and then nothing happens. And then Mikhail Grigorenko over in Colorado, while everybody's talking about Miko Rantanen, Grigorenko was the one who tied Peary for the lead in preseason goals with four Right now, he's slated on a third line in Colorado with Miko Rantanen and Joe Colborn, right behind a line of like significantly older guys and Carl Soderberg, Jerome McGinla, and Blake Como. I don't know which one of those is the real second line. I feel like we'll know a few games into the season. Elon, I have a couple more guys. Should I keep going? If you want. Okay, actually, I'm going to cut it to one last guy. We're going to go back to Montreal, Elon, after Sergachev. I don't know why the people aren't clamoring to hear about Arturi Lekanen. Lekkonen is a 5'11", 21-year-old rookie drafted back in 2013. He's made the team out of camp, though. And Elon, now you're going to get really excited. He could start opening night on a line with Thomas Plekanec and Alexander Radulov. Isn't that exciting? 
I guess so. Yeah. You usually love those guys who get to play that third part on a proven line. Like that's a top six role in Montreal. <laughs> proven line? Radulov and Flakanik is not a proven line. <laughs> well, they're two proven scorers. And for what it's worth, although I kind of dislike him for this, he apparently broke Daniel Alfredson's playoff goal scoring record with Forlunda last year. So there has been some previous success in professional leagues, but not yet in the NHL. We'll see what this smallish guy can do in the top six in Montreal going into the season. He could be a rookie that's off a lot of people's radars if you're in a really deep league. Yeah, okay, maybe. I mean, I think you're misrepresenting. Like, what are you saying about me that I like anyone who's on a line in the top six? (laughs) I like mentioning these guys if they come up and are producing and if they're playing with really great guys. I don't know if Thomas Plekanec is a guy I'm like so excited. Oh, he gets to play on Thomas Plekanec's line. We'll see. Okay, I still think Andrew Shaw could end up taking that job very quickly. We'll have to see what happens. Okay, I'll just name a guy now to end the show. Oh my gosh, you're so upset with Arturi Lekanen. You know what? I'm, I can bet you right now he outscores Devontae Smith-Pelly in the first week of the season. I'll take that bet. Done. Why don't, we, why don't we make it two weeks? Just, you know, because I don't know how many games played there are. How about over the first two weeks? How about over the first five games played? Deal. Deal. Done. And I'm going to win for sure. Okay. Let, don't let us forget this, by the way, chat room and people listening. Brian, I'm going to end the show because someone mentioned him in the chat room and I'm surprised we didn't bring it up. Ian mentioned Alex Edler had the second most points in the preseason. I'm not going to fact check you on that, but I am excited for Alex Edler. He's been forgotten. And I feel like I said this before, everyone was so excited that Erickson was going to go to Vancouver and play with the Sedins. They keep forgetting. How about Edler, who's already there playing with the Sedins and Erickson now? He was injured for a bit last year, but he's still the top power play defenseman, probably one of the latest top power play defensemen you could get in your draft. That's like a sure thing. Like, don't forget about him, especially if your league counts on peripherals. He's not too bad for blocks. Alex Edler, like, just don't forget about him. If he's a free agent in your league, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know who's your bottom guy because we might suggest that you make that swap. And then I will add on to that. Philip Larson is the guy that the Canucks seem to have chosen to be the other defenseman on that top power play unit. He's probably just going to be like a bottom pairing guy, even strength. We'll see what he can do on the power play, if anything. But yeah, Edler's a good guy to have. And then, Elon, I'm going to end this on a really positive note. Tyler Sagan looks like he's cleared to play opening night. That's exciting. Yay. That's good. No Crosby, but at least we have Tyler Sagan. So it's a little bit of a consolation prize. With that, Brian, we have to end the show. (laughs) People are chatting here in the chat room, and and I love it. Maybe we could stay here and keep chatting, but we've got to end this here. Thank you so much to everyone listening. Thank you to everyone who joined us live. We're very excited for the season to start. Like we said, if you like the show, let us know. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear from you. A five-star review on iTunes is much, much appreciated. We haven't promoted our patron program on this episode, so I'll just mention quickly that if you want to help support the show with money for $5 a month, you can have access to our patron-only Facebook group, our monthly patron cast, of which we're going to be having one next week. So it's basically an episode where Brian and I do just for the patrons. They ask us questions. We answer them until all the questions have been answered. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Plus, you could sign up for the couple you get on the wait list because I have a feeling that, you know, there's always going to be some inactive players. And so if you get on the wait list now, you could join the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantrax League at some point, potentially. But hopefully that's enough. And hopefully that's enough podcast for you this week because this has been a long one. So how about we cue that outro music and Brian read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Christian, Dave, Keegan, and we have some uh, some people rejoining us. So thanks a lot for that. 
We really appreciate your support. This show was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Daily Faceoff, Roto World, Fantrax, and I tried to name all my other sources over the course of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Great job, Brian, and we'll catch you all next Sunday, 8 p.m. Until next time, keep on keeping Carlson. Keepingcarlson.com slash live. Bye. Slash patron. Oh, yeah, I didn't say that. When you want to become a patron, you have to go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Bye. Keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs> <laughs>